We're gathered this morning to celebrate new members of the Unitarian Church of Lincoln. Newer, rather, because we are celebrating all who joined over the last year. And occasions like this are a time to consider membership in Unitarian Universalism as a whole, to ask what membership in churches or congregations requires of us and what membership gives in return. In a few months, members of Unitarian Universalist churches, congregations, fellowships, and covenanting communities will descend on Kansas City for our annual General Assembly. Each assembly chooses a, a, a single theme, and this year in Kansas City, that theme is All Are Called. We'll be speaking and reflecting on that one central tenet of Unitarian Universalism, that ministry is a thing that the membership of a church does. All are called. Each member who joins, joins the broader story and ministry of Unitarian Universalism. Last week we talked about roots and wings, how by joining a church you are part of those wings and our roots are your roots now. We ask much of our membership in this tradition. Members join in covenant, both explicitly and implicitly. Joining a congregation means that you sign the membership book, you make a pledge of financial support, that you can now chair committees and vote on the business of the church. <laughs> Everything from the annual budget to who you should call as the next minister many years from now. So members for Unitarian Universalism are the church in a very real way. Membership is covenantal. We agree to be part of a community, holding ourselves to the expectations of membership. Unitarian Universalism makes a big deal over the fact that we are non-credal, that there's no doctrinal test to be a member. But we make less of a deal that we're not non-credal, or not non-covenantal. <laughs> we are covenantal. Our covenant in this congregation sits near our front door, visible as you walk in. And our covenant as Unitarian Universalists is well known, although we don't often speak of it in that way. Article 1 of the bylaws of the Unitarian Universalist Association is a statement of principles, purposes, and sources, and it is labeled in those bylaws as the covenant of the association. So you may have heard of the seven principles. Those are covenantal. Those are the covenant that the association holds together. They're not a creed. They're not statements of belief intellectually held. They are statements of behavior, what we, that we practice the democratic process, that we respect the interdependent web of existence that we support each other in our spiritual development. This is the essence of covenant. And the seven principles move from the individual to the collective. The first principle speaks of each individual having inherent worth and dignity. The last speaks of the interconnected whole. The pivot point, the central principle on which everything else rests, 
is the free and responsible search for truth and meaning. The Reverend Paige Getty of the UU Congregation of Columbia, Maryland, expanded the fourth principle, saying, as responsible religious seekers, we recognize that we are privileged to be free, to have resources to pursue life beyond mere survival, to continually search for truth and meaning, to exist beyond bonds of dogma and oppression, and to wrestle freely with truth and meaning as they evolve, as they evolve. I spoke last week about our Christian roots as an institution, that Unitarianism and Universalism began as Christian denominations, but have evolved to this place of a non-credal faith. But here's where we've officially said that that's the case. Members are free and responsible to find what truth and meaning they will in life. That may be Christianity, that may be Islam, Wicca, secular humanism. The search for truth and meaning are a charge to the individual. The fact that we charge every individual with them is covenantal, that's collective. This is the charge to each Unitarian Universalist. Not to accept the, the truth spoken from this pulpit, but to interrogate it. Test it against your experience, your conscience. All are called. So truth comes not from a single text or preacher, but from each individual life. And the horizons are wide. There are Unitarian Universalists who read the latest developments in physics with awe at the expanse of the universe. You use who are awed by praying the Ave Maria. You use who revel in the silence of the North Woods in winter and who have religious experiences at a concert in Brooklyn. And in the last three years, I have been all four of those you use. <laughs> so whatever your spiritual path, whatever brought you here and whatever, wherever you may go next, you are welcome on this journey together. And this freedom is tempered by responsibility. Here are words from the, the Reverend Jan Brewer. Freedom demands responsibility to others and to life. It is not enough to be merely disciples of freedom. We must always be disciples of intelligence, sensitivity, understanding, and love. It is not enough to be free from intolerable constraints, but to be free for what is good and true and beautiful in the world. May we realize that freedom is not the end of our religion, but the beginning. What does it mean to be responsible in our searches for truth and meaning? To me, I think it means first that we take it seriously. We take the spiritual components of our lives with some weight. And serious does not mean, I hope, a lack of humor, <laughs> as you might have seen. But by, by seriousness, I mean something worthy of our attention. Serious things are worth effort. They're worth practice, engagement, and challenge. You're here on a Sunday morning, so on a Sunday morning of daylight savings time. <laughs> so you're already taking steps in that direction. For those of you who are members, you've committed to be a part of this place on Sundays, 
to commit financially, to commit volunteer hours, what is the challenge of the rest of the week? How do your actions outside this building reflect the seriousness of what we talk about inside it? We are responsible to take this seriously individually, but also we're responsible to one another because our religion is a covenantal one. Covenant is relational. None of us search on our own. And if we take our beliefs serious enough to act on, then our beliefs affect others. So if our beliefs affect our actions and our actions affect each other and we are covenantal and we're concerned with the well-being of people around us, then it's not actually quite accurate to say you can believe anything and be a Unitarian Universalist. There's a, there's a string of theology. This is an extreme example, but it works. Developed in America and taken up by South African pastors in the mid-20th century, they took the book of Genesis very seriously. Told the story of Genesis 1, God creating the, the heavens and the earth and land and water and day and night. And they said that, that is God saying that things should be separate, so therefore segregation is intended by God. They took the Bible very seriously, but that is not Unitarian Universalism. That is a belief that would not be welcome in this place. It is not part of a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. The other place of responsibility I want to highlight is the issue of cultural appropriation and misappropriation. This is reasonably easy and common for you use to fall into. It's the fallacy that we seem uniquely suited to often. And by misappropriation, I mean taking the words, music, or cultural artifacts of a culture not our own and presenting them outside of their own context. And this is an easy trap for you use to fall into because for many of us, our own context is what we're moving away from. The easiest way to stay on the right side of appropriation is to stay in the tradition and symbols that you were raised with, but those symbols and traditions can often be painful for many you use. And so we turn to symbols from other places. It's easy to find something from another culture that says what we want to say, particularly with internet access, but it is not responsible. So two quick examples of what I mean by this. The, the gray hymnal was written in the 80s and 90s. And we had a slightly different understanding of this issue than we do now. And it has a, a large section of traditional spirituals. But it's a section that we, we have to use really carefully. There, there's a tendency, for instance, to add an extra verse to there is more love somewhere to end the, the song. There is more love right here. And that's a beautiful sentiment that there's more love right here, but it, it removes the song from the context in which it was written. When, when love was something that you hoped for, that you didn't always feel in your life right here. Sophia Betancourt, the, the temporary uh, president of the UUA and uh, professor at one of our seminaries, talks about another change that we've, we've made in our, in our hymnal, uh, changing the word master to father as an image for God, as a thing better suited to our sensibilities. And this again, she says, removes agency 
from composers for whom choosing their own master, their own God, was a radical revolutionary act. And by changing it, we take it out of its context. And closer to home, Easter and Passover overlap again this spring. It's tempting to talk about the two holidays together. Both are about freedom. The Easter narrative is set around the Passover holiday. Sacrifice plays a large role in both celebrations. But combining them does a few things. It misses the uniqueness of each holiday. It forces us to take them on each other's terms rather than on their own. And it glosses over the narrative so present for so long that Easter replaced Passover as Christianity replaced Judaism, a narrative that has done enormous harm to the world. So I will go to a Passover Seder every year, but it would not be responsible for me to try and lead one on my own or to, to mix it with an Easter sermon. Our freedom of belief and action is tempered by responsibility. There's a, there's a poem by Max Warren said, our first task in approaching another people, another culture, another religion, is to take off our shoes. For the place we are approaching is holy, else we find ourselves treading on another's dream. More serious still, we may forget that God was there before our arrival. A few people uh, raised a really good question after the sermon last week about roots and wings. It was, are, are we developing a false binary on these sermons about balance? Roots versus wings, tradition versus the future. Maybe this week we would think of having only freedom of belief or responsibility that constrains that freedom. And there's some truth in that critique, some, some danger that we might fall into that logic. Anytime you are balancing deeply felt truths, there's a possibility that one will be presented as the right way at the expense of the other. That is not my intention. There's a, there's a theory in management literature, of all places, called polarity thinking. The idea is that it's fairly common to find two important values that on the surface, at least, are opposed to each other. The classic example is, uh, is quality and cost. So you can make cheaper widgets, but quality suffers. You can bump up the quality of the widgets you're producing, but cost will also increase. Polarity thinking suggests that value and growth are present in the tension between competing values. Cost and quality, but also that supervision needs to be both supportive and challenging that an institution needs structure and flexibility, that in thinking through how those values interact, that's the place of growth. This is equally true in our personal lives. We need to be confident and we need to be humble. We need times for reflection and we need times for action. And in our spiritual lives, we grow because we have both roots and we have wings. We are free to believe what we will and we are rooted in covenant with each other. One of the places that you often see this is music. 
I am not a great musician. Jazz was my music of choice for years, but I was, I was never really good enough to, to pursue it. I sat third chair in my college jazz band for four years. And St. Mary's College has the best possible music program. It's good enough that the upper echelons are folks who went on to become professional musicians. And it's accessible enough for folks like me to be a part of it and be around musicians and kind of play the, play the chords and, and not be asked to do things that far beyond our ability. <laughs> but um, after a few years of this, it's that third trombone. Um, the performance my senior year, Don, our conductor, pointed to me in the midst of a performance at the solo break. <laughs> now, in a big band performance, you have 17 or 18 people playing, and when a solo comes up, 16 of those people drop back and play chords while the soloist imp improvises a melody line on top of the chord progression. And this particular solo was a 12-bar blues in B-flat, which is as easy as it gets for a trombone player. And it went great for the first part. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, it sounded like a walrus <laughs> was slipping on pavement. I had gotten so caught up in this melody that I was playing, that I was trying desperately to put together, that I missed entirely the band going from B-flat to F. Oh, dear. You do not have perfect freedom in improvisational jazz. <laughs> and I was not asked to solo again. <laughs> Creativity and restraint operate in this dynamic tension. Uh, a polarity where the performer knows exactly the bounds of what is being played around her and has the imagination to play within those rules and restraints. The best musicians do this like they're breathing. Miles Davis, I'm convinced, knew music theory as good, if not better, than Johann Bach. I think of Unitarian Universalism as jazz, as an improvisational religion. We're free to get lost in music, to, to take our melody lines wherever they are, but we still have to practice, to take it seriously, to be aware of the band around us. We're free and we're responsible for our individual searches for truth and meaning. And together, the, the variety of our spiritualities, formed in covenant with each other, creates Unitarian Universalism. So the charge to new members, the charge to all members is this, search for truth and meaning. Take that search seriously and be in covenant with one another. If you like the jazz metaphor, be the John Coltrane of religion. <laughs> Find your own melody for a love supreme. Amen. <laughs>